This is Ruth Mukwana, a humanitarian worker and a writer. In 2020, one in about 45 people will need humanitarian assistance and protection. While these statistics are shocking, they don't tell the complete human story. This podcast talks to the people responding to this crisis, the communities affected by them, and the writers telling their stories. This is Stories and Humanitarian Action. My guest today is Keith Lesmeister. He was born in North Carolina, raised in Iowa, and received his master's in fine arts from the Bennington Writing Seminars. In fact, this is where Keith and I met in 2012 when we both um, took this program. His fiction has appeared in American short fiction, Slice, Meridian, Red, Red Divider, Getsburg Review, and many other print and online publications. His nonfiction has appeared in Tin House, Open Bar, River Teeth, The Good Men Project, and also in other publications. He currently lives with his family in Northeast Iowa, where he teaches at Northeast Iowa Community College. We Could Have Been Happy Here is his first book. Welcome, Keith. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me, Ruth. And thank you for making the time. So, Keith, I'd like to start off by asking you to read uh, a paragraph from one of uh, the stories in your collection. Um, I would like us to really speak a little bit in details about Between the Fireflies. Yeah, and if you could just read a paragraph from that, and then we'll sort of get into the conversation after that. That sounds great. This is from Between the Fireflies. Iraq, Afghanistan. I watched the news almost every night under the erroneous notion that I might see Alice's father, though I never mentioned any of this to her. The news reports were horrible. Deaths of innocents, car bombs and suicide bombers, Shiites, Kurds, Sunnis, groups of people I knew nothing about terrorists, Al-Qaeda, bin Laden, and eventually Saddam Hussein would be captured. It was a swirl of confusion as the two wars took place in some alternative universe called the Middle East. The mix of news and political spin was dizzying, and the only thing I heard from my parents were things like, it's a damn shame, or when's the nonsense going to end? My father didn't enjoy talking about these kinds of things. He was a quiet man who blended into the background of my life. So I asked my mother what she thought of it. And she said to me, Ike, you can't use force where philosophies collide. It was a losing venture from the start. I cringed at the thought. She saw my face and understood. I know what you're thinking, she said. Alice's father isn't a bad man. He's doing exactly what he's committed to do. But those who are making the decisions about all of this, well, I guess I don't agree. Thank you. And uh, this paragraph is somewhere in the middle of the story, if, if I remember. And I have read this story several times. And I have to say, every time I read it, I really learn something new. What, what is this story about? It's, it's about a lot of things and sort of at the heart of the story 
are these two kids, really. Ike, who is the narrator of the story, and his neighbor, Alice. And this story is told from sort of a retrospective lens, meaning Ike is graduated from high school or just graduated from high school. And he's looking back on this time when he and Alice were in the fifth or the sixth grade uh, in 2003. And all of this stuff is happening. And he really isn't sure how to make sense out of any of it. At the core of the story was this exploration of something that really, I think, can only be explored from a civilian perspective, so which is the the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. I, I, I guess I hold this belief that, you know, a, a person who's never been in war, it's it's really as a fiction writer, it's really difficult for me to say this because as a fiction writer, I want to say, well, any writer can write about anything he or she wants to write about so long as they do it responsibly and they do it thoughtfully and they do their due diligence and research and so on and so forth. But when it comes to things like war, it, it, it strikes me as something that, that you as a person or writer has to experience in order to have the license to write about it. And in my case, I've never been in war. I've never, I wasn't in these situations. I wasn't in Iraq. I wasn't in Afghanistan. This was my way of exploring these, um, sort of the aftermath of all of this as, as a civilian, frankly. And, and, I, and I thought the added part of, you know, exploring it from the perspective of a sixth grader or someone who's, who understands life concepts but doesn't understand them completely or, you know, with the ability of looking at them with a more sort of pronounced worldview, I thought that allowing that perspective would maybe shed some light on this in a different way. So at the heart of it is sort of this exploration, those two horrible instances from a civilian perspective who is also happens to be a, a, a young person. Going back to just this paragraph you've read, you've read, I think then you use the adults to give the children some perspective, but in there, you, you know, Ike's mother says um, to him, Ike, you can't use force where philosophies collide. It was a losing venture from the start. Um, can you just talk to me a little bit about those two sentences? And this is where some of my own thoughts and feelings come into play. As you know, because you've read the story a couple of times, the story is about so much more than just those two wars, even though this, what, this, what the kids are doing sort of parallels what's happening overseas. But it was really tough to wrap my mind around all of this. And, and you know, I wrote this story a long time ago. Let's just say, for example, I wrote this in 20, 2013 or 2014. You know, that's like roughly, you know, 10 years from 2003. I felt like we as a society were still trying to make sense of all that was happening. And we were still learning about some of the things some of the reasons why we had gone into war in the first place. We started to learn the truth about that. We started to learn about the relationship uh, the United States has with the Middle East. I don't know, somewhere along the line, I, I, I've just 
sort of had this idea that trying to muscle your way into a situation or trying to force your way into someone's life or perspective and impose your own is never really the way to do things. I mean, again, that's just sort of my own personal belief and that those two lines very much reflect me as like sort of Keith, the author, you know, imposing some of his own beliefs on the characters in the story. You know, when I, I read the story, it does speak to the friendship between these two children and the tenderness. And if you could just tell me a little bit about more um, the relationship between Alice and Ike. Yeah, for sure. So the the story is about these two kids who have been tasked with taking out these cottontail rabbits that have been devastating Alice's family's vegetable gardens. And this sort of in the wake of Alice's father being deployed to Iraq. And so that's sort of where the story starts. And the impetus for this story kind of, I mean, very personally, sort of like, so where I got some of the images for the story. So a lot of stories start with, you know, these, these various images. And, and I can tell you precisely where this started. Uh, I have a dog. The dog is, you know, she's um, hound, lab, and pointer. And so she, hunting is sort of bred into her. And one day, one spring afternoon, I came outside and I saw that the dog was looked to be playing with something like a toy, but it turned out the dog was playing with this um, dead rabbit, this dead bunny. Uh, and in fact, it had gotten into the dog, my dog had gotten into this litter of baby bunnies. Uh, I saw this one that was dead and then I walked about five, six more feet and there was another one. And I walked about five or six more feet and there was another one. And then I got to the last one and this last one was still alive, but it was, it was injured and it was, it was dying a slow death. Uh, just to kind of give folks, you know, perspective for where I live. I, I live on the edge of a very small town. So I live on a small acreage of about three, three and a half acres. And so it feels very rural in some ways, I suspect. You know, for someone who's from the city, you know, this would feel like, you know, we're out in the middle of nowhere. So, so anyway, we have, we deal with certain things out here that maybe folks in the city don't have to deal with. But one of the things we have to deal with, especially if you own a dog, is, you know, injured animals. I had the choice at that point to either let the, the rabbit suffer and die or to kill it, which was the more humane thing to do. And so I picked up a stick and I whacked it over the head. And, you know, its eyes sort of bulged and just that sort of image of that rabbit along with the five that were laying out in the yard, uh, which I had to eventually collect, that image sort of became the impetus for the story. And I knew that the story couldn't just simply survive on just this friendship and this sort of task for Alice and uh, Ike. I wanted to give it more. I wanted to provide more of a background backdrop to the story. And so I set it against the backdrop of these, of what was happening in the United States and around the world in 2003. And in there, and, and, and actually I didn't want to ask you about, because there is suddenly, as you say, there is this parallels between what's going on in Iraq and, and, and Afghanistan. And what struck me is actually the violence with which 
these children, Alice and Ike, actually deal with with the rabbits. Um, and if you could just talk to me a little bit about how that progresses, because in the beginning, they, they are not really, uh, they don't know how to do it, but it does uh, progress. Um, if you could just talk to me a little bit about that process in terms of why are they doing it and also how it does actually become more violent. You know, there's just a harsh brutality to the um, anecdote that I just shared with you about having to 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 put a, a bunny out of its misery. Like no one really no one really wants to do that, but there's a harsh reality to it. And there's a violence involved, you know, with the with what was happening overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan. I felt like so much of it was just what we read in the news and headlines and we never really got into the nitty gritty of what was happening on the ground, but the reality on the ground was that there was a lot of suffering. People were getting killed. Innocent people were getting killed. And, and in some ways I, I wanted the brutality of what was happening between these kids and these rabbits. I, I didn't want to shy away from that brutality because I feel like we shy away from, we shy away from that in, in, in the news headlines we read, in the news that we read. And, and I don't think we deserve that. I don't think we deserve the, we as consumers of news, I don't think we deserve the watered down version of the atrocities of war. I don't think we deserve that. I think we need to know it because that's the only way we can really properly make change and really address what's happening. And at the same time, you also deal with both characters very tenderly in fact i was just i don't know there's a point there when i was reading about and actually i don't know if you you'd like to read it out there's a moment there when alice tells um ike that you know his father is gone her father's been gone for two weeks but it feels like two years and they have this moment i don't know if you can find that moment i'm talking about and if you can read it yeah i remember that moment i'm looking for it right now as I'm looking for it, yeah, I, I wanted to, I, I, the other thing I liked about working with these, with these kids is that, you know, you couldn't help but sort of treat them tenderly mm -hmm. and portray them in a tender way because they're just kids. And, and even though they're doing horrendous things, um, they, they were just kind of told to do this. I feel like in some ways, you know, we have the same sort of relationship with our troops in some ways, it's like, we want to put them on this pedestal because they're sacrificing so much, you know, and we, they should be recognized for that. That's obviously a selfless act and, you know, fantastic and wonderful. And, and in some instances they're, they are only doing what they're told to do. So I wanted to try and sort of accentuate that just a tiny bit, you know, that, that this is also the way we feel about our, soldiers, you know, we, we high, hold them in high regard as we should, but that doesn't mean that they aren't doing horrible things, but the horrible things aren't necessarily things that they're doing on their own. They're, they're, these are things that they're just, this is just like part of what they signed up for. And in some instances, you know, they're doing what they were told to do from, you know, their sergeants or, you know, their superiors. I know, in fact, you, you touched on that one point that I had also wanted to, to ask you about. I think twice in the story, 
you know, it is mentioned, you know, that these are not bad, you know, these are not bad people. And when Ike's mom is talking to, to him about Alice's dad, he's like, he's not a bad man. And when Alice herself is talking about her dad, she's also like, you know, he's out there to to get the the the, the bad people. Um, mm-hmm. so that, you know, the in the innocent the innocent ones are safe and that's one of the things I actually did want to ask you about. Like, is it possible to separate those two things out uh, in a war situation? And if it is possible, how does one do that? I don't know how to answer that question completely, but I mean, let me just offer a few thoughts. Like, I think that at every level, war is a tragedy. And it's even the word tragedy doesn't even feel like it does it justice. It's it's just such a, it feels to me like in many ways in my mind, it's almost like a lack of effort and imagination for how we could better deal with these situations that could be handled diplomatically. The the question, of course, for Alice and Ike is that they're out there doing these things. The rabbits, they ultimately need to get these rabbits out of this vegetable garden because the rabbits are devastating the vegetables. But what about trapping the rabbits? You know, what about using creative means to take the rabbits out of there? I mean, there's so many different ways that these two kids could have gone about it, but you know, when the dad gives the orders, you know, the, the dad's the authority, the dad knows what's quote unquote, what's best. And so these kids just fall, fall in line. And I feel the same way in, in, in so many respects about war. I feel like it's just a sort of a tragic lack of imagination and a lack of, you know, um, a, a, an effort to pursue healthier and more diplomatic means. Right. Um, and so the, the, the paragraph I was actually looking for is towards the end of page 58. Yeah, so this is kind of like a quarter, a third of the way through the story and, and the kids are at Alice's and they've already gone on a couple uh, hunting excursions um, and then they're out back of Alice's property. Uh, okay. It was completely dark by now, and Alice took my hand and led me out to the field next to their gardens. Fireflies flashed everywhere. He's been gone less than two weeks, she said, but it feels like two years. I've never seen so many, I said. My mom gets stomach aches from worrying so much. He'll be back before you know it, I said. We'll bomb the shit out of whoever we need to kill, and then they'll fly him home. You think? I know, I said. Of course, I didn't know anything. Nobody at that point knew anything, but it was the thing to say, something to comfort her. That sounds awful, she said. Have you been watching the news? A little, I said. But nothing on the news made sense to me, the foreign names of people and towns. I guess it does sound pretty bad, but he'll be fine. Promise? Yeah, of course, I said, promise. She smiled and took off her shoes. I did the same. 
We hopped and skipped around the wet grass with frantic urgency, occasionally bumping into each other and stumbling. When that happened, she laughed. I hadn't seen her smile or laugh in weeks. That night, we caught dozens of fireflies and we'd watch them in our cupped hands before letting them go. We chased them all over, running and jumping, slipping and falling, following the neon flashes. Quick, run, do you see it? Alice would say. Now there, hurry. And I'd run beside her, conscious of whose turn it was to catch them. Above us, a moonless sky, stars so thick it looked like a smear of vanilla frosting. After we'd worn ourselves out, we sat down and watched as the fireflies continued their nightly conquests. They're everywhere, Alice said. We were both out of breath. I could stay awake all night, I said. Maybe we should, she said. I grew quiet at the possibility. I wanted to say yes, but instead we just sat there in silence for a little while longer before she said, my mom used to sing this song, but I can't remember exactly how it goes. Life is beautiful like the darkness between the fireflies. I like that, I said. I set my arm around her in a friendly way, but that's not exactly how it goes, she said. I like your version, I said. And she continued to sing the wrong words to a beautiful song. Yeah, yeah, I know. Thank you for reading that. It's it's just one of those moments that, that I think in the story, it's, it's just, it's very heavy in many ways. Uh, Ike is comforting her, but they're also children and they're having this, this moment where um, I think they forget uh, what's going on. One thing I wanted to ask you, Keith, is there's a moment there when Alice is, is, I guess, angry with Ike and she puts the butt of the pellet gun on, on her shoulder and aims for, for his chest. And, you know, she's like, you know, say whatever you're saying, I'm going to shoot you. And what's yeah. going on there in that moment? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, one of the underlying conflicts in the story is on the personal level because Ike, you know, they're, they have feelings for each other, but Ike for sure has feelings for Alice, but they're only, you know, and they're young, they're like in sixth grade or fifth grade. And he's trying to make sense out of all of this. And he doesn't really, it, it doesn't really show itself completely these feelings until, you know, they go to the county fair together and Alice has this interaction with another boy whose father is also deployed. So they had this moment together of camaraderie almost. And they were, you know, having this moment together, like Alice maybe even feels like she found somebody who she might be able to confide in because he's going through the same thing she is. And of course, Ike is jealous of this. Ike is jealous because he wants to be there to console her. And, and then he, you know, brings this up, kind of makes fun of her for it. It's a sensitive point for her because, you know, she wants more from him, I think, than what he's given her. She wants him to be more supportive and mature. And he's more like, no, I'm actually just interested in you and me and me being sort of like the sole comforter for you. And he doesn't, he doesn't really want to see that relationship for Alice go anywhere 
so he acts immature. And, and that was sort of how that moment, that very, I think, uh, fragile moment between the two came about. And uh, how about her mother? Yeah, the mother is like, she plays sort of this backseat role. She's there to really get the kids back together again because, you know, the they have this sort of spat, Alice and Ike, after the whole pellet gun incident when she points a pellet gun at him and he taunts her. It's when Ike sees Alice's mother at the grocery store that they finally have a reckoning and, and come back together. And so the mom is sort of more in the background of the story, but uh, I think always there present, providing that sort of distant parental sort of guidance, you know, so often is the case for, for kids, you know, that the parents are there, but not there. I'm acting accordingly, I'm acting this way because my mom knows that where I'm at at all times kind of thing. And as the story, um, I know you've mentioned it before, um, they are children and, 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 and they are used, they are basically implementing what Alice's dad has asked them to do. And also there's a lot of use of uh, military language in there as well, you know, sergeant, uh, one for 10, and a lot of that. But one thing I was, I'm curious about, it evolves. They, they, they don't want to do this, even though they believe they have to do it because they've been told by authority to do it. You know, they start to realize it's, it's cruel, it's inhuman. And progressively, they, they kind of stop. Can you talk to me about why they stop killing the rabbits? So I think the reason that they ended up stopping mostly was because they had taken out most of them. They became almost like infatuated with the killing itself and wanted to continue to build up this sort of like little rabbit cemetery that they had in the backyard, which sounds really creepy, but it, it, it jives with the, you know, the story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it was a point in the story when the kids started to venture out from like where they were supposed to be in the first place. They started to hunt in the neighborhoods and not just in Alice's backyard. And then they ended up on accident shooting this cat. That was the point in the story when I think they were, they were both already just sort of exhausted with it all. Simultaneously, I think you know, horrified by what, by what they were doing, but there was sort of this also this kind of manic sense that they just couldn't stop. And so they, they just, they just pushed it too far. And this cat, this, this, this sort of casualty of all of this, this innocent sort of casualty became sort of the, ended up being the straw for both of them. And then they just sort of stopped after that. And when Alice's father returns, suddenly the way Ike describes him, he's changed. Um, if you could just talk to me a little bit about him and how him, you know, being a soldier out there, how that has impacted his own life. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was tough to, I didn't really know how to do that because I didn't know many people personally who'd come back, who'd changed. 
but I read about, I read a, a lot about that, the effects of war, not just on the community, uh, but on individuals' lives. I didn't really know how to frame it other than I, I wanted it to be purposefully vague, but I also wanted there to be a very definitive sort of shift in Alice's father's personality after he came back. And so we talked about how, you know, he was once a very peppy sort of upbeat guy and he sort of lost his step. And, you know, he, he tried to, you know, maintain that sort of positive vibrancy that he had before he left, but it, it just felt forced. And that was about as far as I could take that. And that's kind of where it left off too, in terms of what we know about Alice's father. And and suddenly, you know, in my own reading about soldiers after they left the war, veterans here, there is a lot. I mean, there is the post-traumatic stress, but I think I also read a lot about how they're trying to integrate back into society and all of the challenges um, that, that come with that. But I suddenly see that there's so many questions there when he comes back. I, I, I can see that. I guess, yeah, I guess you were also maybe ending the story, but I was just, uh, <laughs> I would have been a little bit curious to see, you know, what he said about the rabbits. Um, there's a moment in the story when Alice realizes uh, his dad is not going to be back in, in time to be proud of all of the work they've accomplished. You know, if we sort of step away from 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 this story itself, I am interested also in, in and, and first before I do that, you know, for me, it's a story that it's what, 20 years ago, 15, more than 10 years since um, you wrote it and, and in Afghanistan, the situation continues to be really brutal. The conflict continues there. Iraq is the same, um, but at the same time, it, these countries are not really in the media that much, right? No, not at all. I mean, they they aren't anymore. I mean, you know that what we hear mostly, I think, from the Middle East, at least from what I've read recently, is Iran. We we read so much about Iran and the nuclear deal that had been settled in, you know, 2015, 2016, something like that. And, and we hear about, we hear about Iran, we hear about the UAE, we hear about Israel, we hear about some of those countries, but not so much anymore, I would agree, about Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's pretty, and, and yet, it's just gotten worse, you know, um, which again, in many ways comes to my question uh, for you, which is around, you know, you know, do you think there is a role for fiction storytelling to raise awareness uh, about war situations and to also motivate readers to take action to address the causes and consequences of crisis? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I... I... I think so. I hope so. Um, you know, one of the things about just with regard to this story uh, between the fireflies is that well, I think one of the travesties of all of this is that 
you know, the reason why Alice's father never really brought it up when he got home is because it, they were orders he had given, but it had, it had been so long and he ultimately, I think, forgot about them. Right. And that they went ahead and did all of this stuff, but to, but to what end? I mean, Alice's father had been gone so long that he didn't even remember and that it ended up just being sort of this futile exercise. And I don't know, I, I, I was in, in so many unfortunate ways, I feel like that's the same way with Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean, case in point, you know, Ruth, we were just talking about like, we don't even hear about them in the news anymore. Um, and, and yet, you know, the situation over there is as dire as ever. Um, you know, these, there's, there's generations of kids growing up in refugee camps and so on and so forth. That's just, you know, um, I couldn't even begin to describe, you know, the, the aftermath. Of course, you know, we were involved in that war, but we don't have to see it. And therefore, you know, it's, it's out of sort of our collective con conscience. And I think that's a travesty personally. Um, as far as fiction, you know, being able to shed light on some of these things, I, and I know we've chatted about this before, um, but, you know, in my mind, it's, 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 just the, it's just the literature itself. It's just the reading itself. Um, but I think it's so critically important to just being able to change the way people see the world and understand the world that reading itself, whether it's about, you know, um, the Middle East or war or, you know, any other country or, or, or situation, um, you know, regardless of the content, I think reading itself can, can is such a powerful sort of tool um, it can help people sort of see and understand things that they wouldn't other be, otherwise be able to see and understand. I think it, it's, it's, it's a thing that helps us, you know, um, grow our sympathy, grow our empathy, uh, that helps us become sort of better, you know, citizens of our local community, but also our global communities. Because if we're, if we're more empathetic, if we're more sympathetic, if we're more sort of engaged people, that's going to manifest manifest itself on every level. I I would think and I would hope. So, and I think reading can can help in that process. Thank you, Keith. And that was my last question. Um, I don't. Do you have any questions for me? Anything else you would like to add? But I'm just so grateful that you took the time to um, read so thoroughly the story. So thank you for that. So thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Ruth. Bye-bye. To the listeners, thank you so much for listening. You can get more information about me on Twitter at Ruth underscore Mukwana. That is R-U-T-H underscore M-U-K-W-A-N-A. And my blog, ruthmukwana.com slash blog. Goodbye. Special thanks to my co-producer, Jamal Swift. Music by the Nomadic Band.